Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. I may be seated. Praise the Lord. Look to your neighbor and say, He's always faithful. Now look back at him and say, Even when I'm not. If you're new here today or you haven't been in a while, we've been talking through the fruit of the Spirit. Remember in Galatians chapter 5, the first part lists the uh, lust of the flesh, and it uses the term, and they are the following. It gives plurality, and then it lists things like fightings and rivalries and gossiping and sexual immoralities, et cetera, et cetera. And there are many of them that are displays or an outflow of a lust of the flesh. This natural man desires to be fulfilled in a level of immediacy. We live in a microwave generation, and so that's the way our flesh drives. We want it, and we want it now, and and quite frankly, we want it easy. We want it without the cost, amen? And that's what the lust wars after. But then in verse 22, it gives, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So it gives a singular form, and then lists nine parts of that singular fruit. And it says that there is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, which you'll always see running in tandem. They are somewhat cousins, if you will. Gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. I want you to notice that the uh, first there is love because all things flow through love. In fact, the scripture tells us, as the apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he said, though I speak with tongues of angels and of men, but I have not love, that I'm just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. One translation says I'm as a rusty gate. And since he's saying, just making a lot of noise if I don't have love in my life. In fact, he goes on to say, if I could tell this mountain and have all faith to be removed and cast into the sea, but I have not love, what does it profit? He goes on to say, what if I take all my worldly goods, but it's not threaded through love, what, what glory is there? Because love is patient, love is kind, love is not covet, love does not envy, love does not keep record of wrongdoing, love never fails. So understand that without love, none of these other things can exist. There can be no joy without love. There can be no peace without love. And I I say that because it is the totality or the fullness of this total fruit, singular, that we should be representing as as a consequence of our salvation. This is something that should liberate us today. It's not something that we have to strive to be or to become. It's merely a byproduct of walking with Christ. It's what happens when I'm in Christ. In John's gospel, he talks about he being the vine and we the branches. And if we're connected to him, we're going to bear fruit. It's a certain consequence. It's, it, you can, you can uh, draw the line in the sand. It's going to happen. In fact, even as we grow and become more like Christ, which should be our every goal, is to be more Christ-like, which means uh, for us to be a Christian, to be like Christ in this life, not a religion, but a walk and and a display of our faith, that our spiritual growth is also evidenced by the fruit in our life. In fact, the scripture says that you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. So it's something that is an essential part of our Christian life, our salvation, our sanctification, and of course our glorification. Now having said that, there are, if you will, character traits of God that speak to 
who he is and what he is in our life. There's omniscience or omniscience, which says that he is all-knowing. He knows everything. In Psalm chapter 139, it speaks of him knowing if you sit down, if you stand up, the words you speak before you speak them. If you go to the highest of mountains, he's there, which not only speaks of his omniscience, but his omnipresence. So he's not only omniscience or omniscient, all-knowing, he's, he's omnipresent, means he's in all places at the same time. If you're over there praying for something, he is attentive, he is there. He says in Jeremiah, call on me and I will answer thee. You'll, you'll never get a busy signal because God is omnipresent. He's always listening, he's always attentive, he's always with you. Never leave you, never forsake you. He is, through the Holy Spirit, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's also omnipotent or omnipotent, which speaks of him being all-powerful. He is not subject to anything to include time, space, and matter. He's not relegated by time. He transcends it. That's why he is in eternity past, he is in present, and he is in eternity future. And then we see the omnibenevolence of God, that he's all loving. And that's, that's the whole point of reference for the gospel, for God so loved that he gave. And he would that none would perish, but that all come to repentance. It's an all loving God. But then when we really truly understand his character, his sovereignty, we have to understand that it's threaded through his faithfulness. For if he weren't faithful, None of the other attributes would even matter because it would simply mean that he uh, may be faithful one day, but he's not the next. He's all loving one day, but he's not the next. Faithfulness says that we can trust him, that he's trustworthy. And, 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 and when we look at this idea of, of faithfulness, it's also indicative of another trait called immutability, which says he cannot change. That may, at the surface, seem like a weak attribute, that he can't change, that he can't morph with culture. He, he doesn't grow. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to change because culture does not determine who he is. He determines who culture is or should. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That says to you and I that through his faithfulness, we can hang our hat, we can hang our faith, we can grab onto the, the truth of God's word because it is not gonna change based on the changes of time. His faithfulness, I submit to you, is the very essence of who God is, the very heartbeat of the gospel. In fact, I believe it to be the very pulse, uh, the very drumbeat, the very tempo of scripture in its entirety. In Lamentations chapter three, you heard them sing a moment ago, great is thy faithfulness. It's not just some proverbial statement, it's actually a scripture reference to Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 and 23, that it's through his mercies that his compassions fail not, that we are not consumed but rather they are new every morning. Aren't you glad that when you wake up in a new day, you have a clean slate, but his mercies meet you where justice calls out. And then he says, great is thy faithfulness. So it's his mercies that were not consumed, that his compassions fail not. And because of that, great is thy faithfulness. 
In fact, we see even in the end of all things in Revelation chapter 19, we just did an exhaustive study for over a year, year and a half on Wednesday nights of Revelation and, and, and it being the only book in the entirety of Scripture, the 66 books, it says, if you read this book, you shall be blessed. Yet it's the most avoided book in all Scripture by the readers of it. But in Revelation 19, after all of the things, the battle of Armageddon, the tribulation, everything leading to the great white throne judgment where all sinners will be judged in Revelation chapter 20, in Revelation 19 and verse, verse 11, uh, John the Revelator says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon that horse, his name is faithful and true. So we see now the, the, the very bookends, if you will, of his faithfulness. It begins with faithfulness. It ends with faithfulness. It continues in faithfulness. And then we come to this attribute of how does that apply? Because we have to understand that before we're ever able or capable of, of bearing the fruit of faithfulness, we have to understand where we get our faithfulness. And it comes from him. It's, it's originating in him and it, it, it is sustained in him and it carries the goal of he is the hope of glory. He is the end of all things. We see that in Colossians 1.16 that he created all things. He sustains all things and he's the ultimate goal of all things. And how does that carry out? Through his faithfulness. So we see his, his faithfulness uh, that we're saved. What are we saved from? We talked about that on the, on the Monday night. You know, what are we saved from? What are we saved to? We are saved uh, from a life of damnation uh, at the hand of Satan, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy of mankind, the liar, the father of all lies. We are saved, not only saved in heaven as our home, but we're saved from something. And it's only because of his faithfulness that we're saved from. You say, why does that matter? Because John 10, 10 says he is the, he is the one who come to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's his MO. That's his modus operandi. That's why he comes. He is known as the roaring lion, seeking, pursuing, looking for that which he may devour. He is the accuser of the brethren. What does that mean? How does that play into my salvation or my sanctification, my joy, my peace, my hope? It's because he's the one that speaks into your mind and tells you the lies of who you used to be rather than God speaking and you listening of who you can be. It's the, it's the defaming part of our, our, our social lifestyle and our flesh. He is that which speaks lies that diminish our effectiveness for the gospel. It's why today you're not everything God wants you to be. And it depends on the voice that you're listening to. Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse three says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and he will guard you from the evil one. The Bible says to not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy so that you can quench these fiery darts. You, you have to know who he is. You have to know what he's coming with. You have to know who Christ says you is. Listen, who you is, who you are. Yeah, who Christ say you be. Y'all see, y'all probably wondering where my iPad is today. I am too. I'm wondering where my iPad is today. And out of all this, I have women's glasses on, but they were left in the green room. Don't judge, just pray for my eyesight. But not only does he save us from something, he saves us to something. Guys, you have to know that you're not saved only so you can go to heaven. 
You're saved so that you can have heaven on earth, that you can have an ability to overflow uh, the goodness and the righteousness and the hope of God. He didn't save you just with you in mind, though if you'd have been the only one on earth, he still would have died for you. But he died and he gave and he saved you so that you could declare his glory so that other people may know him. That's the bearing of the fruit of faithfulness. And listen, when I said a moment ago, listen, the enemy cannot destroy you. He cannot have you. He cannot destroy your home. He cannot take your marriage. He cannot have your children. Though the Bible says that he desires to sift you as sweet, as Jesus told Peter. He wants to crush the very essence of who you are. But understand, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit deposited into your very life. You have to tap into that. You have to declare truth over the lies of the enemy. The only thing that can defeat the enemy's lies is truth from God's word. But you can't declare its promises unless you know what they are. And you won't know what they are until you get into his word. And he says his promises are yes and amen in in him until the glory of God the Father. But he saves us from that because of his faithfulness. Secondly, uh, it is by his faithfulness that we are kept so he's not only saving me, Melissa, but he's holding me. He's, 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 he's got his arms around me. I, I, can't, I said this in the last service, and I believe it to be true. You can't get out of his hand if you wanted to. And that may come of a shock to you. I did not say that you can sin and do whatever you want to do because you're a child of God and there's no ramifications. I didn't say that. But I did say that if you're in his hand, no man, to include yourself, could pluck you out. You say, Mark, can you prove that? I think I can. Even today, the culture says that a child could divorce a parent. But even if my son or my daughter decided to divorce me and to pull away and leave me and walk away and say, I hate you, you're no longer uh, my dad, guess what? I'd still go to bed with a kid. Because nothing's changed the way I see them. And if I can do that in my flawed state of humanity, how much the more can God look at you and say, no matter what you call me, no matter what you think of me, no matter how you give or don't give or fellowship or don't with me, you're still my kid. The, the, the reality is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, where it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Look to your neighbor and say, it's complete. And may your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body, watch this, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. I love that that part of the verse, that he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. He who promised you will also do it. So not only does he save you and sanctify you and ultimately glorify you, but watch this, he will be the one who will hold you. He's keeping you. He's safeguarding you. Why is that important? Because every person in this room, in the sound of my voice, has probably at one time or another questioned your salvation. You've gone to bed, my kids have done it, I've done it, my wife's done it, my, my in-laws, my mom, my dad, everybody in the sound of my voice at one point in time or another has questioned their salvation because the enemy's a liar. To know God's word 
says, he's faithful who called me, who also do it, who will keep me and guard me until that day. The Bible says I'm sealed to the day of redemption. It is by his faithfulness that we are already glorified. You say, Mark, I don't understand that because glorification doesn't happen until I see Jesus. You'd be right. Understand that justification happens on the cross. Martin Luther couldn't get away from that when he was studying the the works of the Catholic Church as a whole and, and, and the sacraments and the, the penance and all the things that had to be done according to the, the Orthodox Roman Catholic Church. But when he gets to the book of Romans, he, he kind of hits a bump in the road and he says, wait a minute, I'm not justified because I'm born into the church. I'm not justified because a priest says I am. I'm not justified because I pay penance. I'm not justified because I do a sacrament. I'm not justified because of this, that, or the other. I'm justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, according to the scripture alone. So justification brings me to salvation. I'm saved by the grace of God. It's not of works, lest I would boast. It is the gift of God. And then there's sanctification. Sanctification says this. It says that once I'm saved, he starts to regenerate me and he makes me more and more and more like him. There's a greater desire. One of the greatest, if not the only litmus test for your salvation is do you have a hunger for him? Do you want more of him and he of you? Do you desire it? I remember when I got saved and Again, I said this in the first service and I'll say it again. I mean, my mom's in this room and I I don't get any joy in saying this, but it's a true statement. I remember when I joined the military, they gave me uh, four uniforms. They gave me two sets of boots. They gave me a rucksack. They gave me a, uh, back then it was a steel pot helmet. They gave me a weapon. They gave me a sleeping mat. They gave me a tent or half of one. and And they gave me a potty mouth. They give you curse words. I mean, they don't physically do that. It's a metaphor. But if you've served in law enforcement, if you served in the military, it just becomes a way of, of, of existence. It's just part of your vernacular. And I remember, I remember Stephanie telling me when I got saved after Desert Storm, she said, you, you know you have to quit cussing. And I was like, baby, if you take away my curse words, I don't have a whole lot of words to say. And I remember right after that, Somebody preaching or I read in James where it says, no man can tame the tongue. Are you talking about feeling defeated? I thought, she's want me to quit. I want to quit. James just told me I would never be able to quit. Until I realized that the process of sanctification meant that I was being changed from the inside out. And that the cursing problem that I had was not a tongue, but rather a heart. And when he changed my heart, my, my words changed. I, I can tell you today, I, I can truly say this. I, I recently, and it seems to happen all the time, I cut myself all the time. All the time. What do y'all call that thing that you, you, you lay down like this and you just like, what is it called? It's called a hell knife is what I call it because <laughs> I'm like this and my finger just pops off. I mean like pops off and you know, I'm hooking up my kids back when it snowed back in the day and I'm cutting a hole in a little tight thing and I'm like, I mean like, I'm like bleeding out. 
I break stuff, broke a ton of bones over the years. Like they were first name basis at the ER. Mark your back, what'd you break? I mean, it was terrible. And I don't have a clue where I was going with that. Cussing, yeah, thank y'all. I don't cuss anymore. And you may be thinking, well, I should hope not. But how many of you have hit your finger with a hammer and praise the Lord, ain't the first thing you want to say? Come on. Somebody, somebody, don't be holy, just be honest. I don't do that anymore. I don't even do that anymore. Now, I'll tell you one thing, if you had a piece of paper and I hit my thumb with a hammer, if you were to write the cuss word down, I'd sign my name next to it. <laughs> but sanctification says that I'm getting different the more I walk with him. I don't want to do that anymore. People say, Mark, is it okay if you drink? I think you're asking the wrong question. I'm saying, what does God want me to do? There's certain things I don't stand here and declare. Like, I don't look at you and say, I don't want you to watch Yellowstone. Because some of y'all would leave the church. And if you don't know it already, Kevin Costner's leaving anyway. You might as well cut it off. If you ain't been watching it long, he's leaving. The next guy's going to be Matthew McConaughey. I know. My wife goes, I think I'm going to start watching Yellowstone. I'm like, you need to get saved. But I'm not sit here and say, hey, don't, don't, don't watch that garbage. That's here's what I hear what I'll say. If it gels with your spirit, then go on. But if it don't and it counteracts, because what you allow in, listen, what you allow to enter, in, I mean what you entertain, you allow to enter into your life. Just hear me on this. I told y'all when uh, Russell, Russell, is his name Russell Crowe? I really like is he one gladiator? I, I like that dude. Man, I like him as, as an actor. But he came out with a movie that was The Exorcist of the Pope or The Pope's Exorcist. How many of y'all heard of that? Don't watch that junk. You will allow yourself to believe that the enemy has greater authority than humanity in Christ. You, you follow me? So, so be, be careful about that. Sanctification. But then glorification is when I see him. But yet... Mark, you just said, in his faithfulness, we are already glorified. Let me read this to you in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Man, y'all come back up. Whom he called, these he also justified, and who he justified, he also glorified. It's in past tense. Why, why is that? Because I'm already saved. I'm already seated in heavenly places. My name has already been written in the book of Lamb's book of life. I'm already forgiven. It's all past and it carries me to the future. Why? Because God already sees me seated in heaven. I'm already a joint heir with Christ. I'm already within the chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I'm already, it's already settled in heaven that I've been glorified. Now I could not have done any of that or I should say, I, there's no way I can tell you now the, the greater part of this message, which is I will only handle just the peak of it because we won't get far. But it's to know that that glorious attribute of his faithfulness now somehow must translate into the heart of you and I believers so that we may live it out as a fruit. 
So you, you couldn't do that if you didn't first understand what it meant that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy. The question may, may be at this point, are you faithful? Or are you faithless? Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through 13. I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I wanna at least lay the cusp of this into your heart before we let you go today. Paul is writing this letter to a young man named Timothy who he would call his son in the faith. Paul was a murderer of Christians formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, trained in the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee among Pharisee, eloquently fluent speech in eight languages. He was a part Roman citizen which gave him clout in Rome. There's so many things that this man had going for himself that he was using for the enemy that when he, he, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, he, he, he went all in for the Lord. So much so that even his previous reputation went before him that when he stepped into synagogues and, and church environments, uh, people were terrified of him because they thought he was coming under false pretenses to, to murder them. That was how close a proximity it was from the time of his defaming lifestyle to his glorified lifestyle. And he he said this, and and I want you to hear just these words, and I want you to kind of take that with you today. Because he spoke these words in a prison. In a Roman prison, waiting his imminent beheading for his faith. So when we think about this guy, we have to think about the antithetical of how bad he was and just how good God had made him. Not to, not to glory in him, but to glory in who God made him. Listen to what he said to Timothy. You therefore, my son, my son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, commit them, here it is, to faithful men. Men who will be able to teach others also. And that word men is, 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 is actually a neutral or a neuter gender, which means mankind. So there's an implication there of men and women. Commit it to faithful men and women. No one, he says, engaged in warfare will entangle himself or concern himself with the affairs of this life. Can I, can I tell you that we're at war? How many of you know that we're at war? But how many of you know that we're on the winning team? They won't entangle themselves with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So he uses the metaphor of being a soldier, fighting a war. But then verse five, he says, if that doesn't apply, also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned, implication there, as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. They're, they're rules of engagement in life, in war, in warfare. There are things that you ought not do. And there's things that you should do. Rules of engagement. But they're really principles. They're really principles, if-thens, that you have to realize in Scripture. And then verse 6, he says, the hardworking farmer must first uh, be first to partake of, his, of the crops. Consider what I say, Paul said, And may the Lord give you understanding in these things, whether it be a farmer, an athlete, 
or a soldier. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, which fulfilled the Davidic covenant, which was very, very important. And they refer to this a lot in the New Testament. He was the one who was raised from the dead according to my gospel. I love the way Paul personalizes this with that pronoun, my. It's my gospel. That's not a, a disrespectful sacrilege. It's personalizing saying I'm owning it because it is that which has saved me. It's that's which I want to declare. That's why I said the same thing I've given you, give it to faithful men. And then ending with verses nine and following, he says, for which I, Paul, suffer trouble as an evildoer. Some would imply that that meant the evil that he had done in the past lifetime. It could be. I suspect it's more uh, likened to what they called evil, which was him preaching this gospel. They, They told him not to do it. And this is what he says. I did so even to the point of my chains because he's in prison. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, he said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect or the called or those who will be saved that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So this is the faithful saying. For if we die with him, we ought to live with him. If we endure, we also should reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, here it is, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. What what Paul is saying is he can't cease being who he is. And then I want to lay this in your heart before you leave today. Because there'll be three of these that we'll cover. And I just want to get this one little piece, 1A, 1A of that is our faithfulness in our lifestyle. I want to talk to you and close with this. I want to talk to you about fidelity in marriage. Just for two seconds. Just hear my heart. If you're still with me, say, come on. Faithfulness in marriage. It is God's design for one man and one woman to enter into holy matrimony. The covenant of marriage, not the contract, but the covenant of marriage. Maybe today, however, you're married and you're living in the worst. You're living in the the worst, but yet you declared openly in your vows for better or for worse. Or maybe you're living in, in in the bad times and you declared that I promise to marry you, to be with you in the good times and the bad. Or maybe you're living in the storm of sickness and you're a caregiver. I've watched people, including my own uh, mom, love and caregive for her husband and many of you in this room for your mothers and for your family members and the, the, the requirement and the, and, the, and the detriment of being a caregiver. But yet you promised and you vowed to love in sickness and in health. And can I offer you this this today? That today maybe you're sitting here with a spouse or a child that is in addiction. And and you, you fight and you fight and you fight and you believe for them to defeat this, this sickness, this disease of alcoholism or, or addiction. And I, I want to tell you today that, it, that it's not enough for you to simply look at them and say, quit drinking or, or quit using. Because that would be as crazy as me looking at someone with diabetes and saying, quit having your sugar out of whack. They, they may not be able to control that in their own heart. So what does it come down to, Mark? It comes down to God. 
God's faithfulness, but maybe the faithfulness of a mom's prayer or a wife's prayer. There are many men today walking the earth, walking in this room, walking in these doors that are only here because of the faithfulness of a mother or a grandmother or a wife who said, I'm not giving up. I am going to remain faithful even when he is faithless. And I'm going to tell you something. That's where real rubber meets the road. That's where real faith kicks in. That's where you cry out to God and you see nothing happen and you declare over your own home and over your own marriage that faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The moment you give up is the moment that the tide of battle stops. But the moment you lean into prayer is the moment that the tide of battle turns in your favor. Daniel said, I prayed back there, but it didn't happen till now. God says, because you weren't ready. Let me tell you something. I am not suggesting that your prayer is going to change anyone in and of itself because they have the right of agency and free will. You can pray, you can believe, you can raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. That is not an ironclad promise. It is a proverbial statement that says the best chance you get is to bring them up in the Lord. The best chance you get is to keep praying. It's easy, it's easy, it's easy to walk away. Now hear my heart. There's no doubt there are people in this room that are divorced, perhaps single, perhaps remarried, and you're sitting here going, Mark, here it is. Here, I knew it would come at some point. I want you to know there is no judgment in my heart today. There is only the promise of God because God is a God of reconciliation. I am evidence of that. I'm no different than you. At 10 years, my marriage should have ended, and for all practical purposes, it did. But December, I'll be married 34 years. Hear me, hear me. It is not because of me. It's in spite of me. It is because of the faithfulness of God. Now, what if you got a divorce? Maybe it was because of adultery. Well, God's given you parameters for the grounds for divorce in the case of adultery. Maybe they weren't a believer and you weren't a believer, but you became a believer and they didn't follow suit. God's given you grounds for divorce and unequally yoked relationship. Maybe there was, and bless your heart if there was, maybe there was physical or mental, psychological, sexual abuse in your marriage. And I'm just gonna tell you, you, you probably did everything you could do to pray them to quit. And you kept going back and you kept believing but you had to get away for your own safety and for the safety of your children. I want you to know God honors you today. But here's what I want you to know. I don't want you to go back to that situation. I want you to start today with this new revelation that God wants to keep you in this new relationship. Maybe today you're married to a person and you're just like, oh Lord God, that I could have married them first. I want you to know it starts today. God is not holding over our head what happened in the past, which is from a second ago back. What God is holding us accountable to is what we have today moving forward. I want you to know that the greatest evidence of Christ and his church is that of a husband and a wife. He is the husband and we're the bride. So before you let the enemy lie to you, I believe, and I know people in this room that fought for a marriage. 
that cried and wept and forgave and forgave and forgave and forgave. Mark, what do I do? Some of you are already at the place where you can declare this openly and out loud. Despite what happened in my life, God has been faithful to me. That's the story. It's not about the decisions that I made that were wrong or indifferent or or took a left turn when I should have turned right. Man, those are plenty. Can anybody else testify that you're only here not because of your faithfulness, but because of his? Even when I wasn't, and even when I'm not faithful, he is faithful. So I want you to know today, the measuring rod of our faithfulness is to forgive when forgiveness is not in you. To love when love is not in you. To fellowship when fellowship is hard. And to keep going when everything in you says quit. That is the attribute and the fruit of faithfulness in your life. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We pray that today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.